Hey, welcome to episode 77 of the Thoughtcast, conversations about animation. The only thing to do is jump over the moon. Okay, we got Laura a call rejoining us on the Thoughtcast. We've got Jody Pulaski. We've got Hannah Lee Smart. Uh, how's it going, everybody? Yes. We're over the moon. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming into the show. Uh, yeah, we're all here in Minnesota, except for Jody, who's uh, joining us from Georgia once again. Thanks for coming back as well, Jody, uh, our regular co-host on the Thoughtcast. But um, it's been, unfortunately, a couple episodes since we've had you to offer insight on all things well, Disney lately with Raya and um, Frozen Fever. Uh, and I, I really, uh, we, since Hannah, you were the only one present for our Raya discussion. Um, I, I wanna hear some thoughts, if, if you have seen it, Jody. I have definitely seen Raya and I listened to your guys's perspectives and opinions and thoughts on the movie. And I found myself nodding my head and agreeing with all of you, even when none of you agreed with each other. <laughs> I thought Raya was great. I think she's going to be a staple in the princess lineup for a while. My biggest concern is, you know, that she didn't have any songs because I do think Disney princesses that have some type of power ballad or, you know, emotional song, kids really dig into music. They really connect in that way. So that's the only thing that kind of scared me about it. But I really liked their ability to bring in a lot of uh, the, the Southeast Asian cultures. I liked the dragons. I love Sisu. I, I thought it was fantastic. I, I did see it in theaters. 10 people can go into the theater at a time. So I like reserved my little spot and went in. Um, and I am excited to hopefully one day meet this character at a park or at Ooh. an event soon, because I think yes. she is so much fun and she has a lot to offer. And it's a character that I think people around the world were waiting to see. So I, I loved it, 10 out of 10, oh, nine out of 10. <laughs> they should have put a couple songs in there because I really do think it would have elevated her. Mm. Uh, especially for children. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was crying on my first viewing, so that's a good oh, sign. Oh, I cried. For, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Laura, um, thanks for coming back to the Thodcast. I'm really excited to have you to talk some Glenn Keane here on the show. And um, yeah, well, I don't know if you, you said you hadn't seen Raya. We were talking pre-show, uh, but what else you've been up to? How are you doing? Yeah, you know, I'm just keeping on, keeping on, <laughs> just working on a few things. Um, I have a big audition that I'm prepping for this week. So that's, that's been kind of occupying my mind. But I was just saying earlier that I've just been so behind on the new releases. Like I haven't seen Raya yet. And I really, really want to. Um, I still even haven't seen Onward. Like I'm just very, very behind on a lot of the new films. I did see Soul though. And I really loved Soul. Um, but yeah, I'm start starting to kind of catch up to the zeitgeist at the moment <laughs> well yeah speaking of that and if i hadn't mentioned i am your host philip elke and um we are talking some oscars on the show today over the moon from 2020 uh, pearl studios in collaboration with netflix uh it's uh nominated for best animated feature at the 2021 oscars 
um, along with what uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but uh, it's one of two films that were nominated that uh, we had not yet covered on the Thoughtcast. So I I was like, we really got to check this um, this Netflix animated movie out. I'm glad we did. I don't know. Anyone care to jump in with what you thought of Over the Moon? I was just going to say, I know Lara just mentioned um, Onward. And I actually thought, like, when I was watching this, that the story was so similar. Um because they're both kind of about that like journey of like loss and then exploring that there's still people that like love you afterwards. And I just felt like they were very similar in the context of their story. And truly like, you know, like people talk about like, there's so much overlap in stories. Like um, all my theater friends hate when I say this, but like nothing Shakespeare did is original. Like all work is recycled work. It's about how you do the work. Um, and like, obviously people have original ideas, but like at this point, you're not going to get like a ton of like (laughs) original ideas. Um, and I thought that this was cool, um, how those were really similar and kind of kids right now, at least, I think more than most generations have experienced loss and need movies like this that help you realize that there are other people that still care about you. And like, it is okay to, move on with the memory of those that you've lost. So I just, I thought it was a really good um, right now movie. Yeah, I thought it was wonderful. Like I, from the moment I first heard like singing, like I didn't know, I mean, I kind of knew it was a musical, but I didn't know how many, like how incorporated it was going to be. I just got the warm fuzzies. Like that was just my, that was my note throughout the whole movie. I'm like warm fuzzies. Like this feels like, like a classic movie experience. And I just, I needed to see something like this. It was just very, very wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of waiting to see how you guys were feeling about it because I feel like this movie, I, I'm i kind of like split down the middle. Like my positives would be the animation I think is super strong, except for there's some moments where it's sort of like a video game. I thought the representation was super, super strong, except for sometimes they like underused characters, like in my opinion, the father. And then I thought the humor was really strong, but then times it would struck me as like really odd. So I I kind of bounced back and forth. I don't know why I was so critical with this one because usually I watch a movie and I'm like, I like it. Like Philip knows I like like every movie I watch. But this one, I think there might've been for me some type of like tonal disconnect when it would go from (laughs) like this beautiful, like cultural, like emotional, like weighted, feeling to like the pop star stuff like there would just be moments where I was like wait what what why that but I did like it I would recommend this movie to pretty much everyone I was shocked that it was like a quote-unquote Netflix movie because I got so many like Disney traits kind of flying at me throughout the film um but I I'm not sure if I love it or not yet I just watched it today so Mm. I'm gonna go with the flow on the conversation but I'm a little torn about it I think yeah, there's a lot we could say about this, and I definitely agree with everyone that it's it's a charming film. Uh, you know, I'm glad I watched it. I was a little slow on getting around to it just because it, it did look maybe a little saccharine, a little kitty. Uh, but I was impressed to see that it had gotten the nomination for, uh, for Best Animated Feature. The others are Onward, uh, Soul, Wolf Walkers, and a Sean the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, <laughs> from Ardman. <laughs> uh, 
And I believe that's a full live or a stop motion animated film as well. So I have to check that out. I, there have been two Sean the Sheep movies <laughs> so far. Why? Um, I, I don't know. They, are, they do good work. I mean, but it's, uh, they go a little under the radar. They're very British. For the record, I'll be cheering on Wolfwalkers. I thought that thing was like an icon, ten out of ten. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't realize this was a musical, but I I wasn't like too flabbergasted. Like when they started singing, I was more just like, oh, of course. Like this is like this very sweet story meant for kids. And Glenn Keane, you know, worked on some of the most pivotal. Uh, Disney animated musicals so he's bringing experience from those um, but you know it's it's tough for I think non-Disney films to really nail that formula and this I mean th th yeah there's maybe a little bit of dissonance um, switching from the story to the musical numbers and, and maybe felt more along the lines of something like you know trolls at times where it's it's a very discreet like jump to this kind of pop anthem versus you know the howard ashman model of like you sing because you can no longer communicate the feelings of the, the emotions of characters that is one of my favorite mm. like basic theater girl quotes you you sing because we can't speak anymore yeah. that was yeah. side note here comes my big loser train that had been i it probably still is but i don't know that was kristen chenoweth's twitter bio for like i'm not kidding you like 10 years mm -hmm. <laughs> and the amount of times i doodled that <laughs> notebook i love that <laughs> like literally like i'd be like sad you know like you're like an angsty like eighth grader and you're like we sing because we can't speak anymore and i'd like go home and like cry and like sing wicked like a loser like i don't know <laughs> I, I love it I, just kidding i hate crying did that uh oh. did it did this movie evoke that in in you hannah no but i thought it was very um like it wasn't it seemed to be motivated to me so like a lot of the times in animated movies, right? They get there, but I think versus more of like a live performance perspective, oftentimes I think the characters lack a sense of um, like the journey to get to that point because like in singing, because you can't speak anymore, your emotions have to be at a certain level and you have to be in a certain like mindset and everything like as an actor, but truly as a character. And I think this was one of the first animated movies I've seen in a while um, that honestly, probably since Frozen 2, when the character had that build up, you know, when you see um, like, if you ever look at like an acting chart mm. and they talk about like the climax of the song is you're climbing the mountain is how it's always been explained to me in different like classes and stuff. Um, and you don't often see the character like climbing that hill to get to that emotion. And I do think with um, the, the actors that they had like behind the scenes, by the way, this is the first animated movie I've also seen in a long time that was credibly, um, it was like decently accurate in casting oh, yeah. like racially, um, which is something that as much as this is Disney-esque, I know it's not Disney, Disney often lacks. And as a leader in animation, they really need to like, hone in and like get it together <laughs> um but I felt that the characters really had a good arc of I'm going to sing now because it actually 
is meaningful to do so. Mm-hmm. I uh, I did a little bit of re-listening to the soundtrack um, since watching the movie yesterday, and um, there's some some good bops on here shall we say <laughs> oh yeah no. i'm like still singing a few of them just yeah. like they're in my rotation now of like oh this is like a really good song to put on this playlist or this is on my biking playlist now like mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's great <laughs> well and like philippa sue is such mm-hmm. like a like her voice just like enthralls your whole being you know like she's so yeah. good and you hear that um sense of emotion or like whatever she's playing you know um yeah she's so good yeah. like she is by Eliza's my favorite oh in yeah Hamilton. and there was like a lot of like Broadway representation in this film yeah like, it was like Ruthie Ann Miles who played the mom and she was in The King and I and she's just incredible and I was like so mad that we only saw her for, for such a short time mm-hmm. um and who else there was like and also some of the ensemble actors had been in other Broadway shows as well and it just was really cool hearing that kind of classic Broadway sound and it was also yeah. like well supported and it didn't sound like everybody was singing so healthily. I just love to hear healthy vocals. <laughs> Laura <laughs> would comment about. on like the health of the singing in the animated. Right. Yeah, but like too. sometimes like you watch these movies and they're singing in like techniques that are just so like, if the kids imitate this, they're going to be blowing their voices out. But I was like, yes, I, I really like the singing here. Just random pedagogical note. More, more Tom Waits, more Seth Rogen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, Laura, that's a good point to make is like Broadway actors seem to coincide with animated movies mm-hmm. more, in my opinion, than like a film actor typically would, which is odd because animation is obviously like a form of film. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's just more like their characterization, like they are trained to be like bigger than life. And like in an animated movie, if all you have is your voice to come across and like to inspire these animators to like you know, like make your characters like eyes go wild or whatever. You need that like Broadway star like aspect to really bring it out. There's a reason that Elsa is such a popular princess because like Adina Menzel is her voice. Exactly. <laughs> Got that Broadway star power. Yeah. Um, I think the original definition of cartoon was like a um, it's like a tapestry that's just oversized. Uh, to fill like an entire wall. Uh, I, like I saw a big um, gallery of tapestries at a uh, gallery in, uh, in LA, um, the, the big art museum that they have there, the Getty Museum um, is really cool. But like, um, yeah, they explain, you know, that's kind of where we get the word cartoon, it's just this larger than life image. Um, and of course, when you're a, an actor on a stage, you have to really project <laughs> that larger than life persona is very conducive to like the, the animation medium. Honestly, Philip, I learn more from you in like one minute than I do from like anybody else in life. <laughs> like you're that guy. This movie was directed by two Oscar winners, actually. Uh, Glenn Keane is the main you know, um, I guess originator of, I, I don't know if he originated a concept. I think it might have come from Pearl. Um, and then he kind of was brought on to oversee it. But then there's also John Cars. Uh, and he is an Oscar winner for Paper Man, the short film from 2013. 
Oh, the black and white one. Yeah, oh, Disney I short film. I really loved that one. The paper airplane. Um, oh, so pretty. Yeah. Yeah. That that premiered before Wreck It Ralph mm-hmm. in 2012, I believe. Shorts that you wish for movies. Yeah. Like that would be on the list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Glenn Keane um, won an Oscar for his basketball short film from um, 2017. Uh, Dear Basketball with Kobe Bryant. Um, he shares the Oscar with Kobe Bryant. Huh. So, uh, yeah. That is very random. <laughs> yeah, Dear Basketball. I, I don't know that I've seen it, but um, apparently it's good. Actually, I read um, online this morning uh, that Keen was involved with like Tangled, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, like all these different movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast too, I think. Yeah. Oh, I thought Laura was like telling me. Like, <laughs> no, I was yeah. like, hey, there's my poster in the back of, of Ariel. But yeah. Oh my gosh. She right. No, she would know. <laughs> she's got. She's like, yeah, and this is his name tattooed right here because I love Ariel. I mean, basically, <laughs> at this point, it's like it's kind of crazy. Like, yeah, like with him, um, he wasn't drawing these kind of princessy characters for a while. He was known for kind of these like gruff and tough are just very like intense looking characters and like uh when it came to um the little mermaid he heard jody benson singing part of the world and he was like i'm just really compelled to draw this and like and then that kind of became his legacy and then he would he drew um uh, i think he drew bell as well and just a couple other yeah uh uh tangled, awesome uh, rapunzel like uh, and all that and just he has like he draws a lot of inspiration from his own family too like his wife was a big inspiration for ariel and his daughter she's a painter and she's a big inspiration for Rapunzel. So he was able to kind of tap into that for creating these characters. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I just really admire his work. He's he's really cool. I have a smattering of his characters just from his IMDb profile. Uh, Do you want to hear some? Go for Uh, it. Yeah. Starting in (laughs) 1977 with Elliot the Dragon from Pete's Dragon. He was a character animator. A uh, supervising animator then on Vixie and the Bear in Fox and the Hound. So that's your gruff type character, you know, with the bear. Um, in, in Black Cauldron, he was supervisor on both Ilanwi and Gurgi. Um, Gurgi! <laughs> apple! Yeah. <laughs> if you've seen it, like, you know that Gurgi runs around with the apple. He's one of my favorite little animated fiends. Yeah, he's interesting. I mean, he's... He's got an appealing look to him, but um, he's, I, I don't know, the, something. He's yeah. rough. He's kind of like yucky. Like you don't want to touch him. He's like a deranged sloth bear bubs. Yeah. So cute. He's an effective character. He's kind of annoying, mm-hmm. but but he's supposed to be annoying. That's the thing. Um, there's uh, Mara Hute from Rescuers Down Under. Um and in Beauty and the Beast, he wasn't supervisor on um, Belle. Maybe he did some oh. animating for her, but um, he he was a supervisor for Beast. Ah, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pocahontas, though. He, mm-hmm. he was lead on the character, Pocahontas. Uh, adult Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Long John Silver. What does it mean to be the lead animator? Does that mean like they drew the original character and everyone else like draws that character as they drew the character? Yeah, everyone who works on that character kind of goes through him when submitting their work. 
like he's he's in charge of making sure everything stays consistent uh not all animation is done in this way where it's on like a character to character basis sometimes it's a sign uh scene to scene but disney oftentimes will assign artists to specific characters it's uh you know no longer quite as prevalent because that style of animation isn't, uh, you know, is no longer conducted on the same level as it was in the 90s, of course. So see Princess and the Frog here, he's credited as an additional animator, uh, but they probably followed that same strategy for Princess and the Frog. Yeah, now with um, computer animation, they actually um, assign animators usually on a character by character basis, um, unless you're like an effects animator or something like that. Um, yeah, he, he was one of the, uh, I guess he was originally going to direct Tangled back when it was called um, Rapunzel Unbraided. No, he had some health issues. Analar, do you know anything about his involvement with Tangled and, and why that kind of got complicated? Not exactly. I only know mm -hmm. kind of like the end of it, not so much of like the beginning. I mean, I know uh, when it was still being called Rapunzel, like I think Kristen Chenna was actually involved. I was just going to say that. In yeah. fact, right. and Adina Mento also auditioned for it yeah. and they both weren't the right voice fit. Um, and then like Mandy Moore and everyone's like, Oh my God, I remember her. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Lara stole my big fun fact. I, I, I had a feeling you would know it though. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here in the corner like, oh. Oh yeah, yeah, Chenoweth. Um, yeah, Mandy Moore. She was the one who kind of won out in the big battle of the princesses. <laughs> um, yeah, the because I, I thought I also read or heard that Kristen Bell auditioned for Tangled 2. Yeah, uh, so. Kristen Bell, I think, got rejected and then <laughs> later on got Anna. Um, I, and yeah, I, I thought I remember hearing something about the specificity of Mandy Moore and how, you know, why she was just such a, a integral piece of Tangled coming she together. She definitely has that, like, innocence to her voice. Yeah. Like, I see, like, why they picked that voice for that character, because Rapunzel, this is such a tangent, but Rapunzel's just a very gentle soul, I think. Mm -hmm. And, like, both Kristen and Adina, Kristen Chenoweth and Adina Menzel have very, like, bigger-than-life voices. And I think Kristen Bell might have been, like, a good fit, but she did do lots of vocal training for Frozen, mm -hmm. so we don't know what she sounded like, you know, five years before. Yeah, I, I heard an interview. Someone said um, Manny Morse was like the first person they heard who didn't seem like they were acting. It was just, sure. yeah, it's yeah, totally natural. Like mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, getting to some of the cast of Over the Moon, I mean, we, we brought up Philippa Sue. She's mm. probably the biggest name associate. I mean, there's also the sidekick role Gobi um voiced by um sorry I'm I'm uh 
<laughs> Doctor, what's his name? Ken Jong. Uh, yeah. Ken Jong. Yeah. yeah uh, I watched the the Mask Singer. Hangover. <laughs> that too. Yeah. I've been watching the Mask Singer a lot lately, and I was yeah. like, I know oh. this voice, and because like that show is all about like who's the voice, who's the, but like he's one of the judges, so it's not a big deal. But it took me a second. I'm like, wait a second. Oh, he's on the other side of the panel, Mask Singer. Ah, uh, there it is. Don't you love that when you're listening to like an animated voice, and you're like, I know who you are. Mm-hmm. And then you actually figure it out with having to, without having to pull up IMDb. Yeah. So sad. So rewarding. Yes. Mm-hmm. He does uh, his own singing in this too. Ken Jeong. Uh, John Cho plays the father. I'm assuming he sings as well. I mean, just look at this face on this actor, John Cho. He, he looks like a guy who can sing. <laughs> let's see uh the we're we've got some young younger actors kind of making uh i, I don't know how big of a debut kathy ong is feifei kathy ong, um we've got the her her adopted brother chin robert g chu um I, th- I think everyone does a great job there's no one here credited as just a singing voice so um, everyone did their own singing and there was, there's a lot of music. I wasn't expecting so much music in this, um, but it all kind of melds together. I don't know, um, any, any thoughts on the casting or the, the vocal talent? Yeah, I love that it's an all Asian cast for, for one thing. It was just sure. really, really, really cool to see. And like, like how it was, was uh, said earlier, like some kinds of representation that you don't really see with stories like this as often like you might see um for like yeah like not only are they singing and acting but it's also mm-hmm. they're representing characters that match their them as well so it's just it was really really cool to see that yeah i was going to hop in and say the same thing and how impressed i was when they're able to work in this chinese mythology it's such a rich and like almost underutilized area. I mean, obviously outside of the Chinese market itself, you you can find it, but I love kind of like them taking the fate of Chang'e, the goddess's fate, like after she's been exiled to the moon. It's it's really an interesting concept. And I hope we kind of get to see more, you know, lore and myths from around the world coming into these mainstream yeah these uh, venues I mainstream. guess yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah because I, I think they're they're a great source of inspiration and like Hannah said I mean a lot of stories are done over and over again but it is just cool to see another perspective uh on things it's, it's fun yeah this was what released back in October I think um in uh, on Netflix in the U.S. October 23rd in the United States um I think it's available on the the ten cent um, streaming service in China. Um, it's gotten limited box office runs. I heard it didn't do well at the box office in China, even compared to like Mulan. Oh, oh really? That's surprising. Under- like, because mm-hmm. I know Chinese audiences really did not like Mulan. Especially yeah, lots with- of people boycotted Mulan yeah. in China mm-hmm. because they the mythology was not done in a way that was respectful i think like mm-hmm. they they used the the phoenix which is not even part of chinese lore and chi mm-hmm. like uh like they made it like a magic superpower and it just was 
I mean, it was, it was yeah, the, yeah. Um, the lead in Mulan, the live action, mm -hmm. stirred up some very like dark politics in China, like months yeah. before the movie's released. It's like, girl, <laughs> Disney is going to freak out. Do not or do that. Or like, or Disney's not going to freak out, which is almost worse. Because <laughs> I remember when we went through the Mulan live action together. I know Philip and I were for sure on it. Just oh, and and Dawson too. Just kind of like the areas they chose to film and whether yeah. they knew or not and this and that it's like guys it's 2021 like can we not all try a little harder to be better and like, like a little Disney harder has so much money and so many resources it's like honestly yeah. they they need to like get it going yeah. we have all of these actors from like different things and you know we mentioned earlier that uh Oh my gosh, the animator. Glenn Keane or no? Yes. Okay. okay. So he he worked on like Pocahontas. Like, think about it. Like mm -hmm. they had a white actress mm -hmm. be Pocahontas. Like they've done this countless times over the years. And I know that this movie isn't that, but we need to going forward set the standard that like this is the standard. Like this is it. This is the standard. And Kristen Bell. Um, there was a show that she was just on where she was playing a person of color mm. and it's like are you kidding me as like an actor like read the room like mm. give everyone the opportunity because like those doors are not opened often so like when it's literally a character that looks like them give them the opportunity mm. um, I guess Pocahontas was voiced by uh, two actors uh, I, Irene Bedard and Judy Kuhn. Um, I know Irene Bedard is uh, Native American. Uh, right, sure and that was for like Wreck-It Ralph, but in the original Pocahontas mm -hmm. stuff, like I, I don't think that she's... No, well, th those two actresses uh, vo both voiced Pocahontas in the original. Uh, Irene oh, Bedard really? yeah. providing... Uh, yeah, Here's yeah, dialogue. Sorry, just uh, <laughs> no, that's okay. Like, always correct me honestly because, like, that was just like an example that I like thought of off the top of my head. And, like, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna like talk about her ethnicity if I'm incorrect, you know. That, that no, makes sense, though. I mean, like, I feel like when people think of Pocahontas, they think more so Judy Kuhn because of the singing, and the singing is so popular, I do, right? So, mm -hmm. so yeah. I, I, I wish they had given her a little bit more attention maybe up to Irene. Uh, I know she did do like a little documentary or something with the movie and how uh, Native American culture played into the writing of the movie and as best as possible, you know, they they really tried, but you know. I love the music. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. That'll always have a special place. Like, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, like, what was I? Oh, the, the cultural elements. I mean, China is such a vast country. There's so much... Um, culture to explore and i this movie wasn't poorly received by critics in china necessarily but i think just the fact that it's like a you know is is an american co-production and a streaming <laughs> film that maybe there just wasn't as much um enthusiasm for people to go out and see it in the theaters and rather just wait you know just watch it at home yeah that that could definitely be I'm, I'm wanting us to like jump back into the movie like for a second because Please. I have like a pending question and I need the world to answer it for me. Okay, I'm confused about one thing. It's at the very beginning, but like 
why does Feifei even go to the moon? Like, I I feel like it's weird and it should have been framed as if like Feifei and her grief like wanted to abandon her family and like run away to the moon, like to be with this like fairy tale goddess, like, you know, and, and maybe find like magic of her mother left behind. But like, I, I don't really get like why she left. Hmm. I know like she wanted to like prove to her dad and like, you know, her mom had told her these stories and whatever, but like, why is she building the rocket and leaving? I think it kind of seemed confusing to me. I feel like it's like part of the message of like grief can make you do almost irrational things, but like in your mind, you see them as completely rational. And I mean, that's just kind of how I saw it, that she was just very, very determined. And it all kind of came back to her processing this grief and going on this journey and the whole movie is her kind of getting some closure in a way and um I yeah that was I mean that's at least how I saw it but yeah I just wish they would have framed some of these things a little bit differently because I do feel like sometimes like the plot got a little bit weird yeah it's it's trying to do a lot um you know the movie is busy a hundred minutes long uh you know it's premised around this moon festival uh, this year is being held September 21st, um, f- Festival of the Moon. Um, the, it's based on the legend of Chang'e, who's a moon goddess, um, and she was separated from her lover, and so she's waiting you know, for her lover. I, you know, there's uh, probably multiple tellings of this. I mean, Mulan itself is based on a very famous f- folk tale as well. Um, and yeah the the significance of the moon is that like this is a tale that feifei's mother would tell her and then like they're they're bakers the the family so they bake um moon cakes for this this festival there's even a moon cake emoji yeah (laughs) yeah so like it's a it's a big deal the food looked delicious like every time they would pan to somebody making food like I, I, I just love how they animated it. It's, there's something about animated food, especially CGI, that's just like, oh, it like, looks so good. Like there was another <laughs> short, uh, if you remember the short Bow, it was about oh, like, yes. those, uh, steam rolls. And uh, that was another one where like when she's preparing the Baoja or Baoza, it was just yeah. like, oh, it looks amazing. I'm so hungry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, this I is probably set somewhere in the region, you know, close to Shanghai, which, which is the place, you know, it's a city where Pearl Studios is headquartered. Um, and then some of the animation was done in Canada at Sony Image Works. Actually, most of the animation may have been done there with some of it. Um, but uh, yeah, they, the whole um, moon connection with Feifei's character being established as sort of rashly minded um more much more so than the other child character chin uh who i thought was interest intriguingly established to be quite delusional but but you know in a charming way he thinks he can sort of like face through walls or something like like vision from wandavision maybe (laughs) (laughs) i admire the commitment (laughs) he commits the bit Uh, and then this helps with I guess their shared, shared journey through this metaphysical delusion later on in the film, 
uh, you know, Faith Fay's introduction to the fantasy world, Luminaria or Lunaria? Uh, yeah, yeah. Lunar. Lunar, well, like moon, yeah. Ch Changa mentions it in her song, uh, Super Luminary, or is it Ultra Luminary? Ultra Luminary, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she's the queen of Lunaria, something like that. Uh, but, and and then, you know, Feifei normally wouldn't be prone to this sort of like fantasy reverie thing, but. She's a scientist. Yeah. But, well, and she's grieving. So mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. yeah, but she, yeah, she's very science minded. I wasn't sure if this movie was going the direction of like, okay, this is going to follow her to being like an adult, um, you know, in the science field and making. Doing like a STEM something. Like, I really like that mm -hmm. they were really pushing the STEM message throughout. Like I'm, I'm all for it. Like, like getting mm -hmm. kids more interested in astronomy and mathematics and engineering and she she seems very high spirited and something I noticed about Feifei's name um well I've been learning Chinese actually since like October of last year I can't with you like you're an icon I'm like I I'm not great at it I don't purport to be an expert or anything but with Feifei's name um the Chinese word for fly is Fei. so it's a different character oh. than the one that she uses in her name but I just thought that was such a cool connection because like that's what she wants to do is fly and I'm like oh that's so clever <laughs> that's awesome I, I liked that they let her be and I think it's really cool that they don't make traits you know exclusive one to the other but like she can be scientific but also like believe in the fantasy believe in the fairy tale like believe in this goddess living in the moon oh. yet she's very like logical and like smart enough to create a rocket ship I think it's cool that children are able to see that you can have both like you can believe in fairy tales and you can be good at math That's so like good. it's yeah. fun to see mm -hmm. it's fun to see uh another thing that really stuck out to me i don't know if i'm like jumping in or jumping ahead but uh what i liked about fei fei working through her grief and the goddess working through her grief and just kind of like how at any age this this monster of a feeling can affect you and how hard it really is, you know, to cope with it. And, and that lesson of moving on, because just the other day I was like texting Hannah and like, it's so easy to, to get caught up in the past. Like I look at pictures of before COVID and I'm like, Oh, the past was so amazing. Like, I can't wait for life to be just like that again. Like we were doing this, we were doing that, but like, sometimes like you need to just be like, no, like that's the past life. Like, let's focus on the here. Let's focus on the now. And I mean, I, I luckily have never lost someone super, super close to me yet. But like, if I have trouble letting go of like little memories, like, I don't know how I'm going to cope with it. So I think it's cool to see a young girl going through it and an adult goddess that's who knows how old going through it. I, I thought that was fun. Well, not fun, but important to see that it can affect everyone, no matter what your age, no matter if you're a little girl or a goddess, you know? I, I kind of dug, you know, <laughs> the introduction of this Chang'e, character it was a little confusing but I, I think Jody you maybe mentioned it was a bit um, jarring but like the the song was good I was jolted <laughs> with the pop star stuff no but that you everyone here please admit that like it was not necessary to make her a pop star yes, like it was. I love it was no no <laughs> she's famous maybe they're just trying to she's famous. Uh, maybe the only thing I thought of the reason why they did that is because they wanted to show like, oh, like 
we're not just a, this Chinese stereotype. Like it's not just like the long red robes. Like we're also pop stars. Like maybe there's some of that, but like I could have done without her being like a pop star. I, I don't know. I could have done weird. with it more, more songs. Really? More songs. <laughs> I want more songs. More songs, more, more better. Over the moon, one, two, three, four, all pop songs. Yes. <laughs> but some musical theater, of course. Yeah. And I'd also like a tap number. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, there was a rap number. Oh, yeah. They really just like ran the gamut with different vocal stylings throughout. Did, like, And none of them were like horrible. So it's like, yeah, they were all fantastic. I think they were all used like pretty effectively too. Like, I didn't think I was going to like the little rap battle that happened in the middle, but I was like, oh, this is advancing the plot and it's showing off the two characters, like how how they think and how they interact and how they want to get out of this, this situation and I was like oh you know what I actually like it that song is like growing on me a little bit more I'm like that would oh. be so fun to do <laughs> I don't think I don't think the songs maybe to me were that memorable but I agree with you Laura like they were they made sense like they didn't just like pop out of the blue like they did advance the plot like you said they just weren't all like to me something that I'd be humming the next day. I really liked like the last song, obviously, because of, I mean, mm-hmm. accepting the loss or whatever. I thought that that one was my favorite. Did you guys have a favorite song? Uh, probably Rocket to the Moon. Like, I think it's those I Want songs. Like that's yeah, always gonna they, be it. Mm. I mean, I also really like Ultra Luminary and then Find Someone New as well, but the one that was like really stuck in my head afterwards was was Rocket to the Moon. And oh, yeah. a friend of mine put out a cover of you know, you guys know Susie Jewel, right? Yeah. She like, <gasps> yeah. She, like I thought of her immediately. I'm like, she needs to sing like every single song from this. And I saw on her TikTok that she did. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're incredibly like an icon. Like, ah. But yeah. <laughs> it's just so good. Um yeah, these I, I don't know. I, the songs are credited to christopher curtis marjorie duffield and helen park um and then i know we noticed laura that they uh, or um at least helen park has another project kind of significantly under her belt um this k-pop the musical it's like an off-broadway musical Mm -hmm, yeah it premiered I believe it premiered at Ars Nova a few years ago, and it's like trying to make its way to Broadway right now. They actually were supposed to have auditions uh, right when COVID hit, and I had friends that were really excited about it and going for it, and of course, like, they can't right now, but I think they're still trying to make an effort to get the show on Broadway, and it's a really cool, just like high-octane pop vocals, but like from a musical theater perspective, it's, if you like six, like, you'll probably like this show. It's very... It's very, very, very cool. But yeah. Yeah. The, um, score by um, Stephen Price. And he's done some major films like Gravity, the Suicide Squad, Attack the Block, uh, Baby Driver. So I didn't, I didn't catch if like they wove in some of the songs into the actual score. Oh, they did. I, they I did. definitely okay. noticed it. Like I would hear... The beginning song like the the moon above um whenever they would kind of bring it back to the original like mythology of the story with chunga and hoi like i would hear like little melodies of that like opening number setting up the legend and i'm like oh that's okay. very clever i love a good late cool. motif like i'm super into that yeah that's uh, kind of like the relationship um 
Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez had with uh, Christoph Beck uh, for Frozen, Frozen 2, like they, you know, would go back and forth on sharing each other's themes, um, incorporating them. Um, you know, I think it was mainly like the themes that the Lopez's composed in their, you know, songs for the characters that then Christoph Beck would use as, uh, as the backing score. Um, so it's always good to have that kind of collaboration. It's not always that tight knit. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we we could get more into some of the the plot here and um, really round out with um, some um, of what our favorite visual elements of this this film ended up being. Or anything. The Candy Crush Kids. <laughs> the Candy Crush Kids. I I yeah. The, I was like this feels so when she got to the moon I was like okay we're having like this big change of pace she's like in a whole nother world now with these lions these flying lions and all these other crazy characters but uh, the candy crush like guys the little jellies I thought those were funny I feel like they were kind of lazy animation but it was fine it worked for me and yeah the the candy crush I mean it's a fantastical world similar to like yeah Wonderland or Oz um even like Sugar Rush from Reggae Ralph in some ways. Yeah, we got the Mooncake characters or and there's even the Mooncake um, the MacGuffin. Dog. Oh. Yeah. The amulet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> The mooncake, like having the little like chunk inside or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That like being in there reminded me of when people like propose and like put it in the, put it in the food and then like the girl accidentally like, and you're like, oh my God, like that is my Did worst you know that the Anybody that is listening to this dog, podcast like, thinking about the taking the bites, that's actually do based not put off it of in a, real, a moon pie. Do not put it a real in myth. a drink. Do not. Oh, I love do that. Not I love how they tie all these things in there. The like, I don't know if it's supposed She'll to be a dog in diamond the actual chunk but I was reading a little bit about it. Just, you know, disgusting. what was... So don't do that. But it made me think about Chinese like historical like type story not mm. historical look at me talking like this. well but, you know like stories from from yeah, chinese myths and what yeah. wasn't and that was one of them that uh was correct mm -hmm. i i liked how the song in the beginning uh to backtrack a little bit but like it, the the mooncake preparation song did remind me a lot of honor to us all and i was like oh well this is you know, getting in a similar groove uh, to uh, to something—it's like sinking into that comfortable, comfortable Disney uh, musical space. Uh, but yeah, the, um, the this is all very well grounded, I think, in in the culture. Um, the dogs—I don't know—it taking a bite out of the moon is, is a fun little metaphor. And then, like, we have this uh ticking clock of the moon dust that's gonna run out or something i that was all very kind of confusing convoluted for me because it's like well the moon waxes and wanes so so how does it like come back uh you know 
did, did was that ever explained or is it just sort of brushed aside i don't know it reminded me a lot of like until the last petal falls like beauty and the beast like very that uh, yeah i i guess once she enters into this world it's like she has to follow the just to play the game like she's on the grid yeah. in tron or something oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but and then she yeah goes on the event adventure there like there's even like a light cycle chase from Tron. Oh, I, yeah, I I yeah. like to bring up oh, Tron yeah. on this show <laughs> it's great I haven't seen it yet but I know there's like a Tron roller coaster like oh, being yeah. made but I haven't seen the movie so I know that it's a big deal if they're making a roller coaster about it I can't wait for us to talk about the biker chicks oh my gosh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, that is what they're called. Another thing that <laughs> biker on, chicks on Wikipedia here. I just call them the Angry Birds. I, that's what I was thinking too the whole time. I'm like, this is very Angry Birds. <laughs> Did you think the animation got worse as the movie went on, or was I being dramatic? I think it was like. Yeah, do you feel like maybe? Do you feel like the animation got different? Like, I know that they changed the whole like style going from the moon to like this place, but I feel like life on Earth. Like the animation was a higher yeah. quality, and then when it was life on the moon, I just felt like it was a little different. Or is, is I yeah, movie? I think there's some truth to that. Like it also reminded me of like in Soul, like you know when you go to like the afterworld, like everything was kind of blobular and less defined. Mm. But then in like the actual mortal like human world, everything was really really detailed and more defined. So mm. it was kind of I think that was kind of what they were going for because later on when they um they recall back uh the characters of changa and hoi like in their um just oh, meeting yeah. together that scene was i really loved the I animation loved. there but some hand drawing yeah oh my gosh in was the beginning it? too they in the beginning in the oh, beginning yeah. that scroll oh. it makes you wonder if they almost had like two different teams for it and like it was a little subpar or something or like they didn't have equal visions in like color tone and that's like enough mm. to kind of like mess with your head yeah maybe or maybe they just really wanted to define it because I mean even movies well I saw some comparisons online like of you know Coco going yeah. into the like the world of the dead is I, I've never seen Coco but you know whenever you're transferring from what well, I know <laughs> I'm not a Pixar person I'm not a Pixar person but uh, when you're going from one world to another like they kind of do over exaggerate certain things to kind of make it feel even more uh-huh. otherworldly Lunaria is is very different from the real world and it if you recall Paper Man that had like this very specific it was um it was still 3d but cell shaded 3d so that the textures were more uh, cartoony you know a bit bits simplified um but to sort of achieve you know that feel of like a hand-drawn cartoon um and the sprites in lunaria are done in this fashion, but then they're also, you know, glowing and iridescent. Like they're they're these just um, dazzling shapes and structures, you know. So I, you know, it's it's trying to achieve a specific look, but it's certainly not like realistic, and maybe does look maybe a little more like earlier animation that did kind of you know like earlier com- computer graphics such as in tron you know was taking advantage of the the hyper reality of that environment so that they didn't have to make it 
look very realistic. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys think, um, so like the very ending, um, cause I know we're getting close to like wrapping it up here. I feel like the ending was like, yes, we talked about it being confusing, but the part of like when her husband like comes back and says to like move on that I think was like the Aww. most meaningful part of the whole film. Like how she like almost immediately like learns the lesson like so soon after and is able to like reiterate that. I think like mm -hmm. it was so important for kids to like hear that. And like that symbolism in this movie, I think is like a bit mature, but like the way. It yeah, for everyone to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. That's, I think, what I was trying to say earlier, but I couldn't express it correctly because my words got all jumbled up. But the lesson of moving on, I mean, it's in all, like, the really powerful shows, all these really powerful things, like, Into the Woods, like, you know, you have to move on, whatever to mm -hmm. do. Uh, and I think it's really difficult. Like, nobody wants to move on from somebody who loved them or someone loves us or something like that. It's it's harder than it sounds. Like, everybody holds on to these, like, memories. I'm super sentimental. Like, I think about people from 20 years ago, and I'm like, I hope they're doing well. Like, I miss them. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like, I don't, like... Time has passed. I, I refuse to like let time pass. But yeah, I agree. Like it was a mature theme. And it's like a theme that we just have to constantly, I think, remind ourselves of like, you know, and I think it's going to be a popular theme coming up, um, given like the worldwide um, loss, Grief. not just here in America, but like the loss that has been gone through. And you get to a point in your life where you think about like, <laughs> here's me talking like I'm like 85. Um, but I feel like there's obviously like levels and stages of moving on, you know, like with relationships, with friendships and boyfriends and no, whoever. not with friendships. No one will be going anywhere. <laughs> but I think when it's like a person that you're close to that past, you truly mm -hmm. don't go a day without thinking about them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for kids to learn that and I think we had a glimpse of that in Frozen they kind of covered it up with Olaf being like and their parents are dead and like telling it in a funny way but and Elsa I think, like comes to it in a meaningful way when she sees her mom yeah. yeah and I think these characters kind of like seeing their person is a bit of like false hope for mm -hmm. kids because they're not going to have mm -hmm. the Elsa experience mm -hmm. they're not going to have that experience of like physically like seeing that again um depending on what you believe in but like I just think that it's really important for kids to kind of like see these themes and like know these things are coming because they're like inevitable and so it's just like I don't know it's a very important lesson to learn yeah and I really like how uh with Feifei she um starts to kind of realize that there are things in her life that she's maybe taking for granted like with her with her new stepbrother she's realizing that she's getting ideas from him, like the whole leapfrog and hanging like a bat. Like she's like, oh, maybe I don't hate him as much as I like judge myself for. And I think that's also another really huge thing. Cause like a lot of these, these stories, like there'll be like a new family member, a new, you know, step sibling or stepmother. And like, they automatically are just like, oh, I, you know, like have judgments and stuff. But I really like how they came together kind of as a blended family. And they, she was able to learn from him and he learned from her. 
And I, I think that's a lovely message too for a lot of different families. You know, not everyone is going to have like this like nuclear family where everything is you know, perfect. Like that's just the reality of the world that we live in. So I, I hope that kids see that message and they might might learn to um, learn from others around them and um, see what they can love from their their new loved ones and things yeah. like that. Yeah. there's like a literal piercing of the veil that happens in this film and i thought you know some some great imagery some some awesome abstract imagery that we are treated to here um the the metaphor of like yeah breaking boundaries um passing through walls you know it returns in a fun way and yeah that's you know, a lot of these types of movies that deal with grief have moments like this, you know, like in Frozen, it was, you know, Anna being literally frozen. <laughs> and then, um, you know, how, everyone knows how that turned out. Um, and then, yeah, like, there, there wasn't an actual, like, resurrection scene here, which was kind of interesting. But I thought, you know, Chang, uh, you know, her character was complex and almost kind of fit the role of like the the queen of hearts type of character in like a Wizard of Oz where there was some antagonism there. But but she also does parallel the mother in some ways too, because um, that was just such a integral part of Fei Fei's upbringing, you know, this tale of Chang'e and the, and the lover Hu Yi. Um, so yeah, some, some great resolution all around, um, any, any other thoughts before we wrap up here? I think, um, what you were just saying about how, like, um, she thought about her, her whole like childhood and was like brought up in that way. I'm glad that, um, it seems that her expectations were like met, Mm -hmm. at least met, exceeded, I'm sure. Well, you know, you, it's no fun just growing up and being taught or learning, you know, these stories that you're told as a kid, oh, they're all just fake, they're nonsense, you know, they're meaningless. You, you want to try to integrate them in some way uh, so that they do have meaning to you. And they always will. Like this, the stuff that we were told and believed as kids, I think deep down it sticks with us and it does give us inspiration if we allow it. Um, it's, it's just good not to forget that. Um, and then, yeah, we have that great moment at the end with the crane. I was just going to say, yeah, <laughs> was, it was beautiful seeing that because that is also kind of a symbolic of like, um, I was reading a little bit into it. It was more in line with Chinese mythology than um, <laughs> I, I was reading a thing that was comparing uh, Mulan 2020 to, to this and how the use of different birds and how they were actually one of them took more so from the mythology and one of them not so much but the crane um what was it let me find it yeah so the white crane symbolizes Fei Fei's mom because white cranes represent longevity and they carry the souls to the afterlife and it just ah it was just it was really cool and also that that crane itself just looked very real like I just the animation on it was like whoa like the first time I saw it I'm like that is a bird I mean later on I was like oh that's yeah it's animated but like whoa (laughs) uh hannah any uh any last thought jody had to depart unfortunately but um we'll uh catch catch up with her next time um yeah um i think um 
I talked to Jody like a little before the podcast, like about the movie, just like initial thoughts, like, oh, you know, Philip, we're always on the phone or something. Um, <laughs> um, and I think I can like speak for both of us when I say that like we do differ in our opinions on this movie in particular, but I think that um, the music was really good. Um, and it's very enthralling for kids. I think they would definitely be captivated by this film. Um, and it's like, both of us think like, watch it with your kids. It was a good movie. And I think that like, she would definitely say the same. Cool. Well, yeah, this sort of contrast from maybe, I, I mean, the the Pearl Studio used to be a, a branch of DreamWorks. And I, I would kind of contrast this with like a DreamWorks film, although you can sort of see parallels to like Trolls with like the pop star sequences. But but also it's just got such sincerity. It does feel like a Pixar Disney film in that way. Um, there's no uh, sense of cynicism really whatsoever about this film. And I, I think it gets somewhat of a poor, I don't know, reception from general audiences like based on IMDb rating and things like that. Uh, perhaps just because people think it's, not quite up to the level of like a blockbuster animated film. Um, but I don't know, I think, I think the lack of, you know, cynicism or, you know, that sort of trolls mentality of like, oh, we got them throwing all these pop culture references or something like Scoob, you know, it's always, it's just reacting to a lot of things. This is just purely telling its own story and um, making its own case. And I am all for it. Um, and that's that's my final thought. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was overall just beautifully made. And I really like just how they weren't afraid to let the characters really be expressive in so many different ways. Like there were moments with Changa's face where she was just like, her face looked like it was like melting, but like in a very like realistic way, like the way she was crying. And, yeah. um, but also like she had this like beautiful sincerity when she kind of made this realization at the end, like they really like let their characters just do everything with their faces and be expressive and I, I like seeing that kind of stuff I like seeing kind of how, how animation can really test emotions and really push them to their limits and stuff and I think I think they did a really beautiful job with it uh Laura thank I I guess first off I just need to really thank you for sharing your thoughts again on the Thodcast and, and thank you the audience tuning into the Thodcast but uh, yeah where can folks uh find you guys on on social media yeah well thanks for having me again it was wonderful it was such a pleasure um i'm all over the internet you can just look up lara a call l-a-r-a-a-k-a-l on instagram uh tiktok now um yeah just take a look there um and what she's leaving out is lara's like very 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 cool with the Aww. twitter community so <laughs> find her on twitter like one of the first like things i ever learned about her was both her and her mom like and she didn't tell me this in like regway are like twitter famous i'm like what oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so definitely look her up on the internet um my name's Hannah. Philip didn't tell me to plug myself yet, but I'm Hannah Lee Ever After everywhere on the internet. Plug, plug, plug. Um, yes. And I'm so, so, so grateful that Laura's here today because she's like so fun and way better at talking about animation than me. <laughs> and I just like love you so much, Laura. I'm Aww. so glad that you're on here. And I love the podcast, Philip. Yeah. 
All right. Thank Over you. the moon for oh. it. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, this was such a fun episode. Uh, definitely recommend Over the Moon. Um, I think kids especially will get a lot out of it. And, um, you know, track down that soundtrack wherever you can. It's, uh, it's got some jams. Good to see Glenn Keen uh, back in the captain's chair. Um, or I, this is actually his feature debut, so mm. we'll see what's what's next from from the yeah, master. Exciting, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, nominated for an Oscar, Over the Moon, um, and yeah, we'll be back on the Thodcast to discuss more animation. I'm your host Philip Elke. You can find me at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the Thodcast on. Our website, thodcast.com, at thodcast on Twitter and Instagram, on various uh, podcasting platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Um, and yeah, you all, as always, have a magical day, a wonderful week. Warm hugs. <laughs> <laughs>